How are you guys doing today? Good, good. I'm a firm believer, and I've said it, and I've said it many times. Um, you know, I think every time we come and get the opportunity to do worship together, it's spiritual warfare. You know, and it's an opportunity for us to declare to God, you know, his worth and declare his worth to him. And, you know, and just like we was even singing, just talking about our victory. And, you know, and I even loved how the team ended off just talked about hallelujah. And that's declaring the fact that we are not alone. Because even in the word, you know, if you've grown up in the church, you've heard the word hallelujah growing up. But oftentimes we sing hallelujah and we recognize it as being the highest praise. But we don't really know why it's the highest praise. But the word halal means to praise, but it's not just to praise, but it means to praise congregationally. It's a congregational praise. And then, you know, so the, the word is, it's a command. It's to praise Jehovah. It's to praise our God. And it's a collective praise that the choir, the, the leader comes and that we sing collectively to God to say that, you know, that we are affirming not just individually, but collectively that God is worthy of the praise. And it's, it's in there that we find that victory. It's in there that we find our strength. It's in there that we are reminded. And so I'm always excited, you know, to, to do that because as, as he talked about, we, we struggle, we wrestle, right? But the Bible tells us, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh because the weapons of our warfare are carnal. They're, they're, they're spiritual. They're not, they're not you know, it, it talks about this idea that we are built to cast down every argument and every thought and bring it into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You know, and I really believe that that's what warfare is. That's what we do when we sing as we prepare to sit under the authority of God's word. We, are, we, we sing and we remind ourselves that God is worthy. Remind ourselves that, we, that we're here to listen and that we talk about the beginning of wisdom is a fear, a healthy reverence for who God is. And I think that that's where we are today in our, in our time. We've been talking about this idea of the church and where, you know, is the church even essential? Or do we need the church in order to um, represent God or live for God? You know, and so we said, well, let's just take five weeks of just talking about hopefully recognizing that we believe that the church is not just convenient, but it is essential to our walk with God. It's essential to our hallelujah. It's essential, and that it's needed for each and every one of us to not just survive in this world that we're in, but to thrive. And so when we come and we sing um, hallelujah, it is a reminder for you. It's a reminder for me of what, we are, what we're here doing. And that's why, you know, each and every year we stop, we pause, and we take some time to say, what is our DNA? What are we, what is God reminding? What is God calling us to both do and to be about here at the church? And so we'll, we'll mention things. We talk about statements that you hear throughout the year that Christianity is not a religion, but it's relationships. That we, that we remind ourselves that it's a relationship with God. It's a relationship with other believers. It's a relationship with, with our neighbors, and it's our responsibility to cultivate those relationships that we go. That it's not just about doing, doing good things and, doing, and not doing certain things. And so as we kind of walk through, we talked about kind of four key identities that we, that we feel like are as in, important in cultivating these relationships. One is a gospel-centered believer where we cultivate our relationship with God, where we understand both our identity um, 
as individuals, but also our identity collectively. And that's really what we're kind of focusing on in these four weeks is our, our collective identity as believers, as Christians, you know, and that's what the Bible calls is the church. We also talk about our, our, our relationship with other believers, right? And we talk about responsible siblings, that the church is not like family, but we are family in which God is our father. Jesus is our bro- older brother, and we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not like play cousins. Like this is like, it's real, right? We're indigenous disciple makers where we, everything that we do, we seek to intentionally make disciples where we live, where we work, where we play. That this is the heartbeat. Jesus says, go and make disciples, right? And so as we're cultivating that relationship with our neighbors, and then we, the final one is a generous steward. And a generous steward is simply about stewardship. It's not a subcategory of the Christian life. It is the Christian life because how we leverage our time, our talent, and our treasures to cultivate those other three relationships is the Christian life. And that's what it's about. And so every August we just said, let's just stop and let's just remind ourselves because we're prone to wonder. We're prone to lose focus. You know, and so this um, four weeks, we basically said, let's look at, you know, like, let's recalibrate the, the essence of the church because COVID has kind of played a number on Christians. We got used to kind of looking at it on the internet, looking at TV, like, like and it's just like, we've, we've created this all I need is you, God, kind of mindset. That as long as I'm studying God's word, I'm good. But see, the problem is, is that the only person to ever walk the earth when it was just him and God was Adam. What did God say about that? God said, this is not good. That God has hardwired us, not just for relationship with him, but he has hardwired us for relationship with one another. And so ultimately what he is saying is that the church is not convenient. It is essential that when we get saved, we don't get saved just to God. We get saved into a family. And that family is significant in order for us to walk in healthy relationship with him, with one another, and with others. And so as we walk through, we just simply, last week we answered the first two questions. The first one was, what is the church? What is the church? And we just simply looked at the oftentimes that the scripture talks about the church. We said there's over a hundred times, over a hundred times, that the Bible mentions the word ecclesia, which means the called out ones, the congregation. And out of all of the 114 times that is mentioned, 102 times is specifically talking about the local church, the local ecclesia, the church in Galatia, the people that you can touch, you can feel. But not only does it talk about the 100 times that, you know, it talks about the ecclesia, it also has over 100 metaphors, images, like the church's family, like um, we are the body of Christ. We are the salt of the earth, salt of the earth, the light of the world. Over and over again, there are all of these metaphors that Jesus, the Bible, the Lord wanted us to know about the ecclesia. He wanted us to know about the church because he believed the church is essential. It's essential for you. It's essential for me. So we talk about what is the church, but then we talk about why does the church exist? And if we talk about Christianity is not a, not a religion, but it's about relationships, we exist for those three primary relationships. 
And each one of those images, each one of those metaphors helps us to understand how we relate to each one of those categories. I may not understand church, but I understand what light, how, what light represents and how light engages with the world. I may not understand church, but I understand what a bride is. I might understand, I might not understand church, but I understand sheep, the army of God, the letter of Christ. I've seen all of these metaphors that you see, and when we see the word you are over and over again in the New Testament, we, we are, it's reinforcing who we are. It's our identity. It's our identity. So we talk about what is the church? Why do we exist? Today we're going to talk about what is the identity of the church? What should the church be known for? Then we'll talk about how do we protect her identity, and then last week we'll talk about how do we put her identity on display, right? And those simple five questions will give us the reason of why in answering why the church is not just convenient, but it is essential, why it is essential. So if you have your Bibles, open up with me to the book of Galatians. We're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And as you are opening up, we're going to do a little pop quiz. We're going to do a little pop quiz. The, you know, when we talk about this idea of was, what is the identity of the church um, or what should the church be known for, another way we can talk about that or in the business world, we talk about, we talk about that like as a brand. What is the brand of the church, right? Well, what you recognize that is a brand is a particular identity. It's an image that's used to communicate both our identity and it's used to communicate our identity and our purpose to outsiders, to other people. You see, a brand attempts to get others to focus on what they would say about themselves and the ways that they would identify themselves or they would want other, others to identify themselves. Because branding is not just about what... Um, we say about ourselves, but branding is also about what others say about you. And so, we're going to do a little pop quiz. I put up a, little, a few images to kind of, I want to, to trigger. What are some of the things that you say or you think about these brands, right? So let's go, but let's put up the, the image. The first image is Tesla. We understand Tesla. So there, with every brand, there's a statement. And, you know, as I started looking, I got, you know, curious about it. The mission of Tesla is to accelerate the world's, the world's transition to sustainable energy. Right? Their core word is innovation. All right? But that brings up a certain feeling to you. There's something that, you know, they want you to believe something. But that image, when you see it, says something else to you. Or it, or it says exactly what they want. Another image is that we see is... Apple. This is a, you know, this is a community thing. So everybody's going to say it collectively. <laughs> Apple, right? And if you know about Apple, they want you to think differently, right? It's just, that's the, the image that they're trying to portray. We also have Google. Oh, I gave you the answer, but you knew it, <laughs> right? You guys, so you have Google, right? And the mission of Google, I thought this was interesting. Our mission is to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. Right? They want to make it more accessible and more useful to its users. Right? They even, you know, there's even a verb. We made Google into a verb. You Googled me. Right? 
Like there is this instance basically says that they want to make it all accessible. You want to know about a person, you want to know about people, you want to know about a word, just Google it, right? And then we got this one. Mickey D's, ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm loving it, right? So we see these things, that these are images, these are things, these are things that bring up and they stir up things in you, right? These images, next one. Like, what is their statement? Just do it, right? So many of us, we know exactly what these brands, what they, what they want us to think about it. Let's go local. Chick-fil-A, right? We talk about it, it's about hospitality. They're known for their hospitality. And they, you know, they got the cows and what do they say? Eat more chicken, right? And so we know when we see these logos, they pop up images that we have, right? Their hospitality, they talk about the second mile. We see all over and over. Sometimes I just say thank you a thousand times just to see how many times they're gonna say, my pleasure, my pleasure, my pleasure, <laughs> right? And so you see kind of these ideas, these brands, but do you know what the number one trusted brand is? Somebody said Coke, what else? No other options, no other guesses? No, the number one trusted is. It is the number one trusted brand that we have. You know, and, what, and, you know, and what's, the, what's interesting about that is that they pride themselves on sincerity and personality. Sincerity and personality. You know, you heard me said before that I really believe that authenticity is the apologetic of our day. And people just want to know, is it, are you real? Are you being genuine? You know, but as we start seeing this, the problem is that when I became a believer and I, I came into college, I wasn't raised in the church. I came and I, in, in college and became a believer. I remember, you know, when I was talking about the, the brand of the church and just understanding the church. And you know what I recognize is that the church is more known for what it's against than what it's for. We have more of an anti-branding than actually a branding. You know, and, you know, and here, there's some images that I just Googled. And again, this, some of this stuff is sensitive, but this is real. I didn't prop up any of this stuff. I'm, we got one click image. Um, but when we think about the church, right, these are the images that people think about. God hates your feelings. God hates Obama. Right? God hates pride. Right? You have this one. You know, LGBTQ is a hate crime against God. Repent. God hates adultery. God hates proud. God hates, you know, um, for the, for the, God's hate for breast cancer. Oh, God loves, you saw that. <laughs> right? But you see this one. Like, this is, again, this is not propped up. This is the way that we want to present ourselves. This is the branding oftentimes of the church. What people think about that it's all about money, right? Hollywood's presentation of the church, right? Over and over again, why do you think so many people say, I don't need the church, right? Because the question is, is what is our brand? Are we, what are we known for? You see, and this is the reality that I really think that is important. But over this series, basically what I want to do is I want to bring God to the stand. 
I want to let the Bible speak for itself. And what does the Bible want the church to be known for? So here we are in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, and it kind of sets us up and letting us know what the church stands for. 5.13 says this, for you, for you. Remember when we talked about any time right there, you see that word, that, that you, he's talking, it wasn't written to an individual. This book was written to the church of Galatians. So that is a church, not in the first person singular, but in the second person plural. So he's talking about the collective you. For you were called to be free, church, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom <coughs> as an opportunity for the flesh but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. So again, as we think about the different images, we bring the image, the image that they bring out here is brothers and sisters. That this is the image, and when we talk about brothers and sisters, does that primarily teach us about our relationship with God? Primarily teaches about our relationship with other believers or primarily teaches about our relationship with our neighbors, with other believers. And so when, when we talk about it, again, so when we're talking about what is the church trying to help us, to what is God trying to help us cultivate, that it's not about religion, but it's about relationships, that he's letting us know, brothers and sisters, how are we to relate to one another, right? And the, the, the one word answer that he tells us is the way that we are to relate to one another as brothers and sisters is how? Love. Love. That's how we relate to one another. You see, if we just imagine this idea of love, Jesus said it this way, that um, the whole commandment is fulfilled and love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul, all your strength. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself, right? And he he brings it out. He says, all of the commandments hang on this. Paul says it like this in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He says, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, a sincere faith, and a clear conscience. Just imagine if every single thing that we did, every time we shared, every time we woke up, every time we talked to one, that... (coughs) That our goal was to simply that I want, to, I want you to fall more in love with God and more in love with one another. How much would what we do change? This is why when we talk about that blueprint that we have three rules. The three rules of the church is love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. And the third one is do whatever else you want to do. You see, what the Bible is telling us and what we believe is that the restriction is in the first two. That if we fall more in love with God and we fall more in love with one another, that we don't have to worry about all the jot and tittles. Love is the driving theme. It's the driving force of what we do. The way I define love is love is a commitment of my will to your needs and best interests regardless of the cost. Love is a commitment of my will to your needs and best interests, regardless of the cost. That's why there's no get greater demonstration of love than what we see where in um, Romans chapter 5 and 8, it says God demonstrated his love towards us while we were his enemies. Christ died. He didn't say, let's, let's first get it together and then I may, I may consider. No, while we were his enemies, 
He demonstrated his love toward us. And so what we see over and over and over again, we see this idea. But in this passage, what you see is that if we were to whittle down, right? Jesus said the Shema, we see over and over again, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. If we were to whittle that down to one word or one phrase, if we were to take one of the commandments off, which commandment would you take off? I probably, I would take off love one another because that's the most important is loving God. But what we see right here, again, it says, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity, but serve one another through love for the whole law. The whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. That everything is fulfilled with that. You see, because God recognizes and he understands, he understands that we are only able to love one another because we first have received love from him. That's what the Bible calls it when in the great chapter of love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he talks about we are a dim reflection. Because he says love is long-suffering, it's kind, it's patient, it doesn't seek after itself. It, and it gives us all these lists. But then it goes on and basically says, but listen, you're only a dim reflection of that love. But when the perfect comes, when he comes back, we'll see it in all of its beauty. You see... What God is saying is that the church, the we, what ought we be known for? We ought to be known because of our love for one another. And that love is just simply a reflection of his love that, is, that we receive through him that we now share and demonstrate that out to others. And it's in that love. But in this passage, we see that there's a problem. There's a problem. And you know what that problem is that keeps you and I from loving one another? The flesh. Verse 13, it says, only don't use your freedom as opportunity for the flesh. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. He was just like, okay, you don't get what I'm saying. Let me break it down a little more for you. In verse, 10, in verse 15, it says, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out or you will be consumed by one another. You see, God gives us clarity but the problem is, is that our flesh gets into the way. And instead of loving, instead of being known by our love, what we end up being known for is just like, God, I understand what you've called us to be, be known for, but instead I got a better thing to be known by. God, you know, and I get with my crew, get with my clique, right? And then my crew and my clique basically says, hey, God says be known by love, but you know what? Let's be known by our intellectualism how much we know about God. Hey, I know he said be known by love, but let's be known by our asceticism, how much we sacrifice for God. Hey, I know God said be known by our love, but hey, why don't we get together and be known by our emotionalism, how much we cry and we weep about God. Hey, I know he said known by our love, but what about our mysticism, all the visions and dreams that we have about God? I know love, but what about our legalism, how well we perform for God? Hey, I know, but what about our traditionalism, how we keep with the reformers, how, how we close we keep to the past generation? Hey, I know he said love, but, you know, we are in America. I love my individualism. Right? And so what ends up happening is, is whatever ism we say, we, we just get caught up in. It's like, I know he said love, 
but I got a better way. It's our flesh. Our flesh gets into the way, right? Because as soon as that happens, even in the best of intentions, when you have your, your, your individualism or your, you know, whatever your ism, intellectualism, your mysticism, asceticism, whatever your ism is, what you start doing is you start looking to the others and you start judging others. You need to be more like me. You need to be more intellectual like me. You need to sacrifice like me. And or you see people that are blessed and he's like, I want to be like them. And what are they doing? And we start measuring people's behaviors. And that's how our relationships with God becomes religious. Because we think that there's some secret in our ism that's going to get us to the very thing that God has called us. What we call that here at Blueprint is the hard hat identity. Right? We say, we recognize that you get saved by grace, but the problem is that we get, many of us get saved by grace, but we try to keep it with the law. We keep it with our individual, our, our ism, our ability. And Paul was like, that's the problem. The flesh gets into the way. And he says, let me introduce a different way to do that. Verse 16, he says, let me say it this way. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you, do not, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. He says, let me just give you a totally different paradigm shift right here. Let's look at this totally different. Right? See, because the problem is, is that I tell you that it's about love. Christianity is simple in its message, but it's supernatural in its application. You think that you're going to be able to get this by just pulling yourself up by the bootstraps and trying to grunt your way into loving more. But that's not the way. That's your pride. That's your flesh. That's not how we're going to do it. And that's going to produce certain things. But here's a different way of how to achieve that goal of love. Abide. Walk in the Spirit. Walk with the Spirit. And this is the way. He says it's not your flesh. It's the Spirit. Because he says, listen, and he says, you can know if your church is known by its flesh or known by the fruit of the Spirit by the simply this. And let me just tell you about the, the things of the flesh. He says, hey, here's what the works of the flesh are. They're obvious. The sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, decision, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I'm warning you about these things as I've warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, I was good with the first one, sexual morality, you know, it was just like, and that's what we think because when we're like based upon our flesh, if I could just start doing the, stop doing the big things, but then it just keeps on going. It's like, but envy, strife, jealousy, right? Now we start talking about my, my internal thoughts and the things that I'm even like, what motivates me. And then as I start looking at this list, I, I look at this list and I'm just like, oh, wretched man that I am. Who will save me? And he says, these are evident. But then he gives us a new image about how we are to operate. You know what that new image is? Fruit. Fruit. Right? And so when we talk about this image of fruit, fruit primarily teaches about us and, and how we relate to God. 
John says that I am the vine, you are the branches, right? He talks about the idea that you can't bear fruit without staying connected with me, right? When we talk about this idea of fruit, that fruit doesn't become fruit by, I'm going to become an orange. I'm a, like, that's just not the way fruit does it. Right? But the way an orange grows, the way an apple grows, the way fruit grows is by staying connected to the vine. That's its sole purpose. And we know as soon as it's disconnected, it's on a slow death to decline. For a season or for a period, it may seem like it's just normal, all is good. But if you don't eat it or consume it in a certain time, we know that the ultimate result is decay. So we recognize, so Paul says, listen, love, love. The problem is your flesh, it gets in the way. You think it's about your ism. No, but there is another way. Stay connected. Stay connected. Right? And so what he talks about is like the church can cultivate a different brand, a different identity that flows out of this, this concept of love. What is it? Verse 22 says, but the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You know what the problem is with this? It's for all of us legalism, for all of us, all of our legalists. We was like, well, how do I know if I'm loving? How do I know if I'm patient? Am I, am I patient enough? Am I loving enough? And that's what we start, we start because we want to know. We're like the, you know, in the Good Samaritan. He says, well, how do I know if I'm loving my neighbor? What qualifies me? Right? But the Bible tells us again in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he says, you can feed the homeless, do this, you can do all these things. But if you do all of those things, but don't love, you're like clanging cymbals. So it's not just about just simply doing things. It's about a certain heart's posture that we're not able to measure. Because God is not about the, like this, the outcomes. He's just talking about being connected with us. He says, listen, if you ultimately work with me, walk with me, abide in me, cultivate relationship with me, stay connected with me, those things will start coming. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Right? What I love about this is that love is a fruit of the Spirit, not a discipline of the flesh. Love is a fruit of the Spirit, not a discipline of our flesh. We don't discipline ourselves to love more. We discipline ourselves to stay connected, and then through that connection that we love more. That we're talking about relationship. What does it mean to cultivate a relationship so that we can produce love. So we can ultimately get what we want to get. 24, he says, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and its desires and, and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. <coughs> let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another right, that we're cultivating this relationship collectively with the Lord. We come together. And this is three things that I want to do, and then we're going to bring up, yeah, I want to bring up three things, 
give you a definition, what I believe the definition of the church and what we ought to be known for. And then we're going to talk a little to some people in our college ministry talk about how this fleshes out with our college students. Three things. Number one, we got to understand the place of disciplines. If love is a fruit of the spirit, not a discipline of the flesh, what is the place of disciplines? Disciplines are simply things like your quiet time, sharing your faith, going out on missions, those types of things, the things that we do, right? Those are good things. They're just not ultimate things. They're not the, the desire. Those are means to an end. They're not the end. So when we recognize that the reason why we have disciplines, disciplines is not a sign of strength. Disciplines is actually an admission of weakness. The reason why we get up and we spend our first time with the Lord is not just to say that I'm good with God. I spent my time with the Lord. I'm on my track to read the Bible in a year. The reason why we do that and we spend time with the Lord is to remind us that even though I spent this 30 minutes or an hour with you, God, the rest of the remaining waking hours is for you. That these are reminders that I'm weak because when I don't put that reminder in, I recognize by the end of my day, I spent all of my day about me. Because you know what I love me? Some me. My favorite subject is me. Right? The reason why we give up our first fruits in terms of our giving is not to say I'm good with God. I gave you your 10% or your 15% or whatever your percentage is. But the reason why we give that, we remind ourselves. That's why to some degree I'm not a big fan of just doing it on an app and just doing it. like Because to some degree we lose the reminder. That it's more about the reminder God, this is yours. All of this is yours. Help me to be a generous steward with all of my time, all of my talent, all of my treasures. Let me remind myself of that. So disciplines is not a sign of strength. It's an admission of weakness. It's an admission of weakness. And so what we see over and over again is this idea is understand the place of disciplines. The reason why each and every week my wife and I, we have a date night that, you know, if you've been married, you know that you can have a date night every week, you can have a date night almost every day, and still not have a healthy marriage, right? But I discipline myself as, as we both discipline to prioritize and to remind ourselves that this is important and that it creates space to cultivate relationship. The date night is not the relationship. It's the space that's cultivated to have relationship, right? Time with the Lord, right? or quiet times, or doing, those are not the relationship. It's the space that we create to cultivate that relationship. So understand the place of discipline. The second one is depend on God's spirit, not your own. We talk about this idea of the fruit. We discipline our bodies to walk with the spirit, to know his thoughts, to know what he believes, to know, to walk with him. And finally, we do that to stay connected, stay connected to the source, right? And so when we do cultivate the things that he says, the way we are to do is by staying connected, right? Staying connected to the source. If we fight together to walk in the spirit, together we will begin to look like family. We begin to look like family. And so let me just give us this definition that we're going to have, we're going to talk, we're going to talk a little bit about um, what we do as a college with Salt Through Salt Company. Here's the definition. I really believe this, that the church is the family of God, redeemed by Jesus, 
empowered by the Holy Spirit to bear one another's burdens and manifest his love to the world. I didn't give it to the PowerPoint in time, so it's not on here, but, but this is important. The church is the family of God. The church is the family of God, redeemed, bought, paid for by the blood of Jesus, redeemed by Jesus. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit to bear one another's burdens and to manifest his love to the world. Right? So when we talk about the church, what are we to be known for? This is what we're to be known for, that we're Jesus followers, that we depend not on our flesh, but we depend on the Spirit. And our goal is that we want to, be, we want to demonstrate his love, not by our own strength, but because of our connectedness to him. And we get that opportunity to do that each and every year with students all across Atlanta Metro. And, you know, and as the, the students come in, you know, for many of our Georgia schools, they're going to start coming in this year. I mean, sorry, this week. And they move into the dorms, and we're going to talk a little bit about SALT. There's our college ministry here at the church. They told us to put it here so we're in center for all the internet people. Perfect. So, we are here with um, our college ministry, Salt Hall, the Salt Company. Salt Atlanta, Justin is representing. Let's go. The church. Yeah. Representing the church. All right, yes. All right. So, one, let's start off with telling us a little bit about yourself and basically the Salt Atlanta team as a whole. Josh, we'll start with you. Yeah, uh, my name is Josh Wassenaar. I'm the director of the Salt Company here, and Tracy is my wife, and Justin has been the associate director here for the last full year, but he's been here way longer than I have. Tracy and I actually just moved down about one year ago, and so we're in our second year here in Atlanta, and we've been getting to know the church and getting to know the campuses a lot more. It's been really sweet. That's exciting. All right, so we'll let you, you're not going to steal all the time, but answer the second question for us. You know, we talk, we've been talking about metaphors of the church, and obviously one of the metaphors is salt, right, that we, that we use, and that's the name of the ministry. So talk a little bit about that and why and the importance of that. Yeah, um, that's great. Salt is the metaphor that is the title of our ministry. It is not an acronym. People capitalize it all the time. They like the S period, A period. It's like, it's wrong. So you don't have to do that in text or email. Um, it's salt, <laughs> which is nice. We're the salt company. So our, our goal and our aim is to actually like be people and produce college students that are entrusted with the gospel in a way that they actually look like Jesus in a unique way on their campus. So we want to be the salt of the earth. We want to smell different, taste different, look different to the people because they see Jesus in us. Amen. Tracy, why is it important to reach college students specifically? Man, I feel like I can go off, but I don't want to keep you all here too long. Um, I think, honestly, what comes to mind first is Psalm 78. So in Psalm 78, the psalmist talks about how we get the privilege and the opportunity to actually make sure that the gospel doesn't die with us that we get the opportunity to make sure that the future generations would praise the Lord, and that's what we get to do in college ministry. And so college students matter because they are the future of this generation. 
We get the privilege of being in Blueprint, living in a city at, as Atlanta, and there's 250,000 college students. And so we want to see that the gospel doesn't just start with, stop with us, but that we look and see the value of our college students that get the opportunity to step on campus and be around so many different unique people and be able to share the gospel there. So college students matter. One, because we don't want the gospel to stop with us, but then two, because of the future generation. Some of these college students will stay here in Atlanta. Some of these college students will go out and go on church plants, and some of these college students will go overseas. And we as a church, if we see the value of making sure that these college students know and love Jesus far beyond anything else, that's the privilege that we get to have and get to pour into these students. So let me stop. I can keep going, but they matter. Yeah. And no, I think that's amen. And I don't want you guys to miss what she said. One of the things that really rocked me when I first heard it um, was like, you know, we're in a big city, we're in a major city, but the fact that there's over 250,000 college students in, in, in Metro Atlanta, you know, and that we have the opportunity to try to reach those 250,000. And so that, I think that's um, significant. Um, so Justin, how can the church be family to college students? Yeah, I think there's a number of different ways. I think one is be open to having college students come into your home. Uh, there are, I have met so many college students that come onto the college campus in both domestic and international students and they never step foot in a church member's home. So one, I would say uh, meet some college students. They usually sit right over there. Um, there are a bunch <laughs> of them over there. Uh, and build some relationships, invite them in your home for dinner, things of that sort. I think two, uh, join us for Mission Trip to Campus next week, Thursday to Saturday. We'll be on campus meeting students, uh, engaging freshmen, inviting them into relationships and things of that sort. Um, so I think, yeah, those are two quick ways. And, and then I think one other way that I would mention is uh, a lot of these students are studying to do things that you're doing in your profession. And so we're looking for opportunities, like mentor opportunities that they could come and ask, like, how do I live as a disciple of Jesus as an engineer or as a doctor or as a garbage man or those kinds of things, right? Uh, so we would love to invite you into a space uh, to be a mentor alongside a college student. Amen. I know one of the things, like, you know, now I just, one of my daughters, my second daughter is just been sent off. She's at Georgia Southwestern and going to, to school there. And I got one now at UGA. And, um, and so it was just been very interesting. And one of the things that I'm trying to cultivate is like, hey, Find a family, find someone to connect with, you know. I said, you'll get more meals, like home-cooked meals outside of like, and, but you know, I was thinking about that. The idea is that a lot of times the students are away from home, right? And this is the opportunity to, to do what we talk about here oftentimes is in, to invite them into relationship and not just time and space. Right? How do we invite people into relationship? And we have different, we have homes, we cook meals every single night. It's not that hard just to set up another you know, another um, plate at the table and just doing those things. So getting involved and inviting them into their lives, I think that's, that's significant and huge. How else would you answer that? Do you have any other, Josh? <coughs> yeah, yeah, I think what you're saying, it's kind of similar, but man, when, when I think about the church, we talk about being, you know, responsible siblings, indigenous disciple makers. Half of the battle is figuring out, like, who am I around that I can be impactful towards? And the other half of the battle is, like, who is around me that I kind of have to go into their space to be impactful towards them? Um, college students fit that category. Like, if, if we don't go and be their family, no one will. Like, like, they are 
in, in for better or for worse, they're geographically isolated a little bit. They're, they're, uh, they're isolated by their age range. So they're in a very cool, like, moment in their life, but they're far from anything that feels like a family. And so if we as the church don't be their family, no one will. So I, I think, like, man, inviting someone over to your house, giving them food, great. But, like, after church, buy them lunch, you know? They will not say no, I promise you. <laughs> so simple. Um, yeah, it worked on me every time when people from <laughs> I Amen. just I loved it. Amen. So, I mean, what, and you got any, one of you guys can answer this. What are you guys hoping for, dream for this semester? You know, what are ways that we could be praying with you, alongside you, as, as um, these 250,000 college students come back into the city? I feel like there's a lot of things that we're hoping for and like looking forwards to. Um, I think one thing that's like on our, like really over the horizon for us that we're like really praying for a lot this year is that we would have a significant presence on both Georgia Tech's campus, but also Georgia State's. They're kind of like universities that are one mile apart, but in totally different worlds. And they feel different, they look different, they act different. And we have a unique opportunity to try to care for both. Um, and so prayer, just that actually our presence on those campuses would be seen, felt, cared for. And I, I think specifically on Georgia State, we're like thinking a lot. Like, I don't know if you guys have ever been on that campus before, it, but it feels like it's downtown, right? And one thing that I've missed and I craved for Georgia State campus is like, there aren't things happening. There's one college ministry that I know of that is flourishing there out of a university that has like 40,000 students, including online and transfer. It's like, like there's one college ministry. It's like, oh man, that something has to happen. So like, I, I hurt for that campus. I'm like, I wanna give students something that's really beautiful that they can be a part of and like have a ton of fun and have great friends and be involved and be invested and cared for. And so I think of Georgia State, I think we're just praying that like, you know, 10 students would come to know Jesus at Georgia State this year. We're praying that students would get baptized and would start following Jesus with their life and be influential towards their friends. You know, like, like those are the things we're praying for. So please pray with us, pray for us, come and be a part of what we're doing. Um, but speaking of that, yeah. like Tracy or Justin, like when you talk about mission trip to campus, explain to them a little bit about what is mission trip to campus. Yeah. So typically from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., maybe later, depending on what's going on. Uh, there's a group of us, mo majority students at Georgia State, it's us and JT, whoever he is, shouts out to you. Uh, we are, uh, so we go on campus and we typically are either just engaging students like, hey, let's grab lunch together. Or we're putting on events to gather freshmen and students uh, and invite them into a relationship, into a friendship, uh, and eventually to our salt kickoff, which will be on the 25th. And so it's a, it's a simple space where we're creating uh, time and space that will result in relationships. Um, and hopefully a place where people want to get involved. Anything you'd add to that? Well, I want to go back to the prayer deal. Um, so prayer. one of the, or two other things that I think of that you guys can be praying for is one specifically the current students that we have at Saul Company, that they would grow to know and love Jesus more. And in that, that they would be bold enough to be the people that invite their friends in, that they would go to the freshmen and they would find them and say, hey, 
you're ours. We want to make sure that you know that you're loved and you're cared for. But then the other thing is freshmen. Like, we love sweet little freshmen. I do, at least. Um, that we would be people, that these freshmen that are walking around campuses who are afraid, don't know what's going on, that feel isolated, that we'd be people that those freshmen feel like they um, can go to. So our current students that are involved, that they would grow and know and love Jesus, but also that the freshmen that are coming in, that we would run hard after them. Uh, that's awesome. That's good. Well, all right. Well, let's get last last um, question that I want to ask you guys. Um, let me see. In like this way, but like, and I would love for you guys to answer, and then we'll talk about ways, specific ways to get even connected today. How would you um, say like what are some some successes? that you've experienced, testify for a minute. Just give us a little glimpse of what you guys have seen God do. You know, if you guys can all just briefly answer that and then we can pray. Sure, I'll go first. Uh, this past week, there's been a guy who's kind of been on the fringe. He hasn't necessarily been a part of Blueprint or he's been like loosely connected to Salt Company. And so we've just been having conversations over the last month about the local church, about getting involved in the Salt Company. And he, uh, this past week, like, just randomly started playing soccer with some guys in the smallest space I think I've ever seen people play soccer in. And so I went and played with him last week, and we had a ton of fun, and I met four or five students. And then he was like, we were texting about it afterwards, and he was like, yeah, dude, like, this thing's going to blow up, and we can invite all these people to the Salt Company. And I was like, ah, this guy's starting to get it. Like, he, he sees that these are his friends who may or may not know Jesus, and he wants to invite them into a space where they can know him. Um, that was just this past week. Amen. Amen. Um, so I have gotten the privilege to lead a connection group for Georgia State, um, but then also to help lead a D group for um, some Georgia Tech girls. And I'm just going to give a shout out, Kyla and Kaylee, um, in particular, um, going hard at Georgia Tech and being people who have continuously invite girls into their connection group, even when they get the losses of like, hey, we don't feel like coming anymore. They continuously are faithful. And so it's beautiful to see God be doing that. And I just get to like sit back and see him work through those girls. Our Abigail, um, a Georgia State girl, um, she got baptized not too long ago. And to see the Lord work in her as she faithfully says, I want to follow you even though I have questions. And so those are like huge wins that we get to sit back and see the Lord like do. And we just get to partner with what he's already doing here on the campuses. Amen. Yeah, and I think one more pretty clear win is um, you guys might have been there when we actually sent off uh, Josh and Kaylee. We, we sent them overseas for two months to be um, sharing the gospel with other college students in Southeast Asia, and their trip there was like super powerful, super impactful. I, I think on them individually, but also in the way that they were able to impact the students that they spent time with. And actually through their efforts over there, they had a friend who came to know Jesus and has been baptized and is now plugged into the local church there long term. And so I feel like that's just something we can just be just thanking God for and Amen. praising God for the effort and the work and the ministry of the Spirit truly working. So. Amen. I, I, I just really wanted to reinforce um, what, what he's saying and even the testimony that you just said to you guys all. If you don't know the story of Blueprint, God used college ministry to birth it. You know, birth Blueprint. It was, you know, a, ooh, a long time ago. I'm not going to tell you how long it was, but a long time ago, right, the Lord used that you know, that college ministry, 
um, that was in Denton, Texas, you know, which eventually had 40 people move from Denton, Texas to Atlanta, Georgia. There would be no blueprint without, I got converted in college. Many of the people got converted in college that if you follow that there's no reach records without this in college, means there's all of these things came out of college because I, I keep re always remembering, I was telling Josh the other day, I was just like in college, we, we, you know, we, we're, we're still too dumb to think that we're not gonna change the world, right? And there's just that energy and that's that, and I think that that is a significant. And so I really want us to really be about reaching the 250,000 and really help, um, helping to unleash them to do ministry where life exists. And so we wanna invite you into that journey. We wanna invite you into the family of Blueprint and part of the family business that we have here is about reaching, reaching college students, reaching our community, reaching those that are in careers, right? That's what we, were, that's what we are um, about. And so if you wanna join the family of Blueprint the today, we got a new members interest meeting downstairs immediately um, after church. We're gonna, um, and you can, if you are a guest or you are a friend, you are wanting to kick the tires and, um, and see about us, you know, come, please come to that. The other way um, is, as we said, invite them. And so they're, they're going to have a little, <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, so we, we're going to have <coughs> another meeting also immediately after church. We're not going to be downstairs. We're going to be upstairs in the new salt offices. It'll be nice and cozy. So if you're like, man, I really want to go and check out both the college ministry stuff and I want a new interest members meeting, uh, do college first and just like leave your name and then drop. Like, like go to the new members interest meeting, stay for the whole thing. Um, we can get in contact with you more later about the college ministry. Um, but come up, say hi to us. We would love to give you just a better, bigger picture of like, hey, what we're doing and what it would look like to get involved um, and uh, how to love college students well this year. So, Amen. Well, I appreciate you guys. DNA Sundays is always a little longer. I don't apologize. It's our favorite time. We're, we are excited. But um, Let's pray, pray for the 250,000 college students that are coming in. Let's pray for our leaders. Let's pray that um, Georgia State, Georgia Tech, Emory, the AU Center, like that these places would not be the same because of God raising up believers to be the salt of the earth on these campuses. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.